Our scripture reading today is 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 15. The few Bibles in front of you, if it's the regular version, is on page 212. If you have the large print version, it's on page 1801. I'll give you a minute to find that. And of course, if you have an electronic device, you don't need my help. You can find it quicker than I can. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 15. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do so as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For if you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And here is my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one or what he does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be equality. As it is written, He who gathers much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. May God add his blessings to the reading of his word. We're wrapping up a series today that we started at the beginning of May where we've been talking about the values of a church and specifically of our church and things that should matter the most to us. And, and we've talked each week about how uh, when, when we value the things that matter most, then we'll do the things that matter most. You know, and every, everybody, every family, every church, every business Every organization of any kind, they have certain values, whether they state them or not, and whether they try to focus on the best ones or not, they, they have certain values. And, and a lot of times it's easy to see what they are, especially if you're, if it's, sometimes it's easier to see from the outside than it is from the inside. And so doubtless you've been to churches or businesses or places where you think, wow, they have some really good values here or some places where you say maybe they should try you know valuing people or maybe they should try valuing um, Jesus a little more or maybe they should try you know valuing excellence because that's terrible <laughs> you know, so you 
we've seen, you know, we can see this in, in the world around us. And, and so we want to make sure that out of all the things that we could hold up as, as the most important, as the things that matter most, that we are holding up the ones that are going to produce the kinds of actions and behaviors on the part of our church um, that line up the best with God's Word. And so we're looking at, at eight over the course of this series, and these are not, you know, the final say on anything that matters. There's uh, other great, healthy churches that have values that differ somewhat from these. Um, and doubtless there are other things you could think of that, that ought to be on the list. And you may even think something ought to not be on the list. And <laughs> that's all right too, I guess. But, you know, if we try to value, um, you know, everything then and, and focus on everything, then we won't have much focus at all. And so here are eight that at least we can start with. And the first one we looked at was pretty straightforward. Jesus matters here. And so we make everything about Jesus, not about us. We've talked about how also prayer matters here. And so we pray as though the whole hope of humanity is on the line. Then the next week we looked at people. People matter here. And so we're ready to love anybody since the gospel is for everybody. And specifically kids matter here and we're ready to bet the farm on the next generation Uh, a couple weeks ago we looked at scripture matters here and how we more than read God's word because it's more than words and and we also looked at missions and how that matters a lot to our church and so and we actively partner in carrying the light into the darkest places and if there's any of those that you'd like to hear more about or that you missed and you can always go back on cypressstreet.org slash listen or to our podcast and you can uh, hear any of those messages that you may have missed and get kind of caught up but uh, today we look at the final two generosity and serving which you know are not really popular ones to teach on in our culture today because you know that's code words for, uh, we all know generosity, right? It involves money and serving involves time and energy. And, and those are probably the two most precious resources or limited resources in our world today. And, and none of us in this room, I doubt, uh, feel that you just have a surplus of either of those. And if you do, please come see me because we have lots of things need doing around here and we can, <laughs> we could use somebody with extra money and time. So but, you know, this season of life that, that Julie and I have been in lately, it's, uh, you know, with the, the whole little kid thing, you know, the baby thing. Some of you are in it right now. Some of you remember being in it. Uh, some of you are just, you've seen other people in it. And there's times where, you know, the old saying, running around like a chicken with your head cut off, it just feels all too fitting, right? There's, there are entire days, sometimes it feels like weeks, where you know, we're, we're struggling to find time just to go to the bathroom or heat up supper or you know, just basic things. You know, we're running around like crazy people, and how do we even have time to do anything? Nothing that uh, you know, maybe we're used to doing, just sit back and relax. You know? and, uh, I, I, there was a comedian we saw this week you know, that was talking about uh, people that don't have kids and think they want to someday and just how naive they are, you know. And, and he was talking about how they go to sleep and they say, have a good sleep. You know, he was British, you know. And they say, oh, I will, yes. You know, and, so, and they drift off to sleep. Uh, versus the, the couple that has uh, kids and, and they look over and say, they don't say good night anymore. They say, 
good luck. <laughs> and so, you know, you're in this season, and also right after you have a baby, the, the medical bills start showing up, and you get to start doing combat with insurance companies and, and health providers, and why can't they just talk to each other? And every time you call, it's an hour on, on hold, and so who has time for that when you don't even have time to go to the bathroom? And, and, but the really funny thing about all this is that most of you sitting there are thinking, boo-hoo, walk a mile in my shoes. You know, my life is just as busy. My life is, you know, I've got bills too. And uh, it's funny how no matter what season of life we find ourselves in, we always seem to find ourselves strapped for money, strapped for time. You know, when you're, when you're a little kid, you know, you start getting extracurricular activities. Your parents are hauling you around all kinds of places and, and you know, paying for for sports equipment or for dance uniforms or whatever, or instruments. Good grief, you can get into a lot of money with that, can't you? So there's always something. When you get a little older and you're in high school and that kind of thing, you've got, you, know, you start driving, you're driving yourself here and there, and you, who has time to get a job and get gas money anymore when your school's piling on work and, the, and you've got all this extracurricular stuff you're doing? And then, of course, you get... A little older, and you get married, and, and then you have kids, and then with that wreck, and then and then you get a, they get a little older, and it just keeps on going. And even people I talk to who are retired, right? They say, inevitably, they they tell me, I've never been busier. <laughs> it doesn't really make me want to retire ever. So uh, you know, we we it just seems like there's not a whole lot of margin in our checkbook and our budgets not a whole lot of margin in our calendars our schedules and so maybe we need a sermon on that one of these days on the importance of building margin into your budget building margin into your schedules but for today i just want us to wrestle with this kind of a a mystery i mean why did jesus prioritize these two things generosity and serving so much uh, in a world that's, you know, I don't know, I'm, I'm assuming that they thought they were busy and stuff back then too. It seems like something that people, that's, we have a tendency for that. Some cultures worse than others. But why is it, how does that even work? How, how can we embrace the values of, of generosity and serving? Because, see, if we talk about valuing that as a church, we all know that the church is not the building, it's people. And so when you talk about our church being generous, when you talk about our church serving, that means us being generous and us serving. And for a people that feel like we're strapped for money and time, but I think that we'll be challenged by this message today and challenged by some of the examples we see in scripture right off the bat here as we begin to look at generosity and we read just a moment ago from 2 Corinthians this was a letter that, that the apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth which you might be able to see that's kind of a bunch of words on there but kind of in the southern end of this peninsula in the middle there's Corinth and then up straight up at the top of the middle you see a region called Macedonia that includes Berea Thessalonica and Philippi, those three cities that all had churches in it that Paul founded on his missionary journeys. And so this, uh, we kind of just need a little bit of reference. I've, I've heard that, that there was a little bit of competitiveness between you know, the north and the south. Imagine that, right? <laughs> but, 
from Macedonia and Corinth, there's a little bit of competitiveness. And, and as Paul writes this, this letter to Corinth, and, and in this section, he's reminding them of a pledge that they made to be generous. And, he's, and he starts bragging on Macedonia. You know? And I kind of think, he's kind of saying, hey guys, you know, the north, they're doing good. How are you, how are you southerners doing? Uh, are you going to be able to keep up with them? And so, so he, he, he begins to share about, but I want to give you a little more background on what they're raising money for as he talks about being generous. The church, at its very beginning, remember Pentecost, Peter preaches the first sermon, the uh, people are saved. All that took place in the city of Jerusalem. All right? And from there, you know, Jesus had, had told them to wait there until the Holy Spirit came. And he said, then you're going to carry my gospel. My, you're going to push the kingdom forward, not only in Jerusalem, but in all of Judea, all of Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so really, uh, Jerusalem was, was not just like a sister church amongst other churches. It was like the mother church. That from Jerusalem was birthed all these other churches as they sent out missionaries. And, and sometimes were forced out because of the fierce persecution there. But a church remained in Jerusalem. And, and so there was great respect for the church and the leaders in Jerusalem amongst the churches. And when Jerusalem fell on hard times around 46 to 48 AD, somewhere in there, there was a famine that broke out and, and economically devastated the city of Jerusalem. And you can imagine that for Christians living in that community, already persecuted for their faith, uh, just how tough the times must have been and the poverty must have been for them during that season. And so Paul begins to raise funds for them. And everywhere he goes, he, he takes up offerings, encourages people to take up offerings and send to the mother church, if you will, in Jerusalem, those fellow believers who are in such dire need. And, and, and just to mention, you know, Paul wasn't from Jerusalem, so it wasn't like he was uh, having a hometown bias or something like that. This was a need that the apostles saw, and, and they raised money for it. And so, look at what he says about the church in Macedonia as he writes to Corinth. He says, in the midst of a very severe trial, like they were having their own trials, we know that those churches in Macedonia faced persecution from what we read in Acts and in the letters, it says, in the midst of their very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Now, there's several things that are boggling to our minds just about that first verse. I mean, just let that sink in for a minute. In the midst of their severe trial... I mean, overflowing joy and extreme poverty are seldom put together in our books, right? We wouldn't put together overflowing joy and extreme poverty in the same sentence like that, talking about the same people, because if you were in extreme poverty, how would you be having overflowing joy? Much less would we say that those two factors would then team up to produce rich generosity, I mean, who are these people, right? They're Jesus people. Very first generation of Jesus people. 
And Paul testifies that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. They gave sacrificially. Entirely on their own. In fact, they came and begged us, he says, for an opportunity to be included in this thing. Who does that? And then Paul gives a second example of generosity. The first example that he gives the Corinthians to encourage their giving was the churches in Macedonia. The second example is the ultimate example of generosity. So it couldn't be passed by. And he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Now he wasn't saying that you know, Jesus you know, he was born into a rich family and had all this wealth and he gave that up to travel around on our dusty roads. He's talking about the glory that he had with God that he gave up to come and be our Savior. And Paul, in, an, in another place, elaborates on this with a kind of an early church creed that, that talks about how Christ, though in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but instead took on, you know, flesh became human, became a servant, even unto death, even death on a cross. And so this is what Paul's talking about when he says and holds Christ up as the ultimate example of generosity, who left heaven's glory behind to come and to serve his creation and to die for us. It doesn't get more generous than that. And then there's one more thing that I want us to look at about generosity that Paul shares. He, he kind of defines generosity. In case, in case your idea of generosity was clouded at all, let, let him just clarify. If the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Generosity is based on what you have, not on what you don't have. Now, Paul has a way of, of saying things in kind of complicated ways, or at least our translations end up that way. But Jesus put this principle pretty plainly one day in, in the temple. As he, he walked into the temple, and they, they were often in the temple when they were in Jerusalem. And, and uh, you know, when you're in the temple, there's unimportant people, and there's important people. And, and everyone kind of knows who they are. And the important people of his day really liked to make sure everyone knew how important they were. And one of the ways that they did that was through their generosity. And they would come in, you know, with either big money bags that they, you know, they didn't pass a plate. They just, they had places where you gave. And, and, and so maybe they would pour it in as loud as they could, you know. I, I almost have this vision of them having like a servant behind them with a wheelbarrow, you know, <laughs> carting it in. Put it here, you know, and, and uh, as loud as you can. And so wanting want everybody to turn and look and say, wow, look how much they give. That is incredible. What, an, what a generous guy. And then along comes this widow who puts in two copper coins, I mean pennies. And Jesus says to his disciples, he says, you see that lady there? She just gave more than all those guys did. And we're thinking, that sounds like some of that common core math that I keep hearing about. <laughs> Jesus, I don't know about that. But see, from Jesus' perspective, she gave more because she gave all she had. 
his, you know, the, the rich guy's sacrifice, it was a cheap generosity. And hers was a deep, costly generosity. So when we talk about generosity from a biblical perspective, I think it's important to note that it's more about percentages than totals. And it's more about your heart than any number at all. That's biblical generosity. It's not about, you know, Bill Gates gives billions, right, to foundations and things like that. But one widow giving all she's got, in Jesus' opinion, is more significant than what Bill Gates is doing. And so we have to wrap our minds around what Jesus means when he talks about generosity. There's kind of a cool phenomenon going on right now with uh, some of the, you know, they're taking philanthropy to a new level. Some of these rich guys are and, and promising to give away, you know, all of their wealth or almost all of it by the time that they reach a certain age. And uh, so some of them are, are signing up for things like that. And it's uh, pretty impressive, kind of a neat thing that's going on. And I don't know all their motives behind it, but I wouldn't be surprised if for some of them. Jesus didn't have to do with some of the motivation there. Proverbs 21, 26 says, Some people are always greedy for more, but the godly love to give. And so we value generosity around here. And we say we'd rather give than get, right? Any day of the week and twice on Sunday, because that's a good saying and Plus, we get together on Sunday, so. (laughs) We'd rather give than get any day of the week and twice on Sunday. Charles Spurgeon said that um, giving is true having. Can't put it more simply than that. Giving is true having. Just wrestle with that one in your brain for a little bit. (laughs) You know, when Paul held Jesus up as the ultimate example of Generosity. He also held him up as the ultimate example of serving. And, and here at Cypress Street, serving matters here. And that passage I alluded to earlier says, Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. We know that Jesus came as a servant, but more than that, I mean, he, he declared it himself. He said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. And he kept on telling his disciples this, and he kept on telling them that, hey, if you want to be great in the kingdom, if you want to lead then you need to serve. For the greatest in the kingdom are the least. And in this this world, you know, people, uh, he talks about the Gentiles, right, and the the other nations. He says their way of doing things is, you know, you get to the top so you can lord it over people. But you're going to do it different, he said. In our kingdom, where I am king, the way it works is, if you want to be above, if you want to be given leadership, then you're going to be serving the least of these and, and doing it just the way I've modeled for you. But, but for Jesus, you know, he kept teaching them, 
They kept not getting it. <laughs> and at, at some point, as he came to the end of his life, as they came to uh, what we know as the Last Supper, you know, that moment right before uh, he's betrayed and turned over and crucified and right before everything goes down, Jesus must have decided, I've got to drive this home once and for all because they're just not getting it. And that day, they had been staying outside of Jerusalem a little ways. There weren't enough accommodations in Jerusalem for everyone that came for Passover. And so they stayed outside of town, and they walked in and walked out each day. And on the day of the Passover meal, they walked in to town on the dusty roads, in that desert climate, with sandals, as was the custom, they came to Jerusalem, they went to the temple as was their custom. They walked all over the streets of Jerusalem. And at some point it was time for them to go to that room, the upper room, to share a meal together, to share the Passover meal, Jesus and his disciples, one last time. And they gathered in that room with a bunch of dirty feet. Now this was not unusual because they had dirty feet all the time. And I'm guessing... From what we read, they didn't have a bunch of surplus money in their coffers. You know, the, the Jesus ministry treasury was, was not, uh, you know, overflowing with extra money to hire servant girls to come around with them and wash their feet, from what we can tell. And so I don't know what they usually did about their feet, if they just left them dirty or what. Sometimes if they were in someone else's home, they might have a servant to do that. But here they are, no servant to do it. And the only thing for sure in, the Jesus, in, the, in Jesus' disciples' minds was that Jesus was never going to do that job. Because that was the job for the least in their culture. You know, when we talk about that moment that we know of as the foot washing, the shocking part of it to us, if we're honest, is the touching feet thing, right? We're not big on, it just seems weird to us. In our, in our culture where we you know, wear our socks and our shoes and we, and we wash our feet at home you know, in the privacy of our own bathtub, then we don't get that whole thing. But that wasn't weird for them. What was weird for them was someone breaking a social norm that badly. You know, in a, in a system that you know, kind of resembles the caste system you hear about in India, where everyone has their place and has their things that it's okay for them to do and not okay for them to do, just as it was not okay for a poor person to be disrespectful or bossy to a lord or master, it was not okay for a master or teacher or king to stoop down and do the work of a servant. And yet Jesus, right? He starts rolling up his sleeves. And they're like, what is he doing? And he grabs a basin. And they have to start thinking, you're kidding me, right? Maybe they thought, wonder which one of us he's going to make do this. <laughs> Maybe if I slide under the table a little bit, he won't notice I'm here. You pick somebody else. But then he goes and he gets down on his knees. You probably could have heard a pin drop in that room as he takes their dusty, dirty feet 
and washes them. Remember Peter, <laughs> we talked about during the, the Peter series how he said, not going to wash my feet, Lord. Ain't going to happen. Until Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me. And then, of course, classic Peter's like, well, then wash me all, Lord, you know. But Jesus did that in that moment, and you have to know that that left a mark on their memory. If they didn't remember anything else Jesus had said about being a servant, they'd remember that. They would absolutely remember that. And he said, as I've served you, so you need to serve one another. And so it's appropriate for us, as we've talked about these values, that we began with Jesus. Maybe that's a given. But we want to state it and make sure that we stick with that. That it's about Jesus and therefore it's not about us. And we end here with our final one being one of the final ones that Jesus drove home to his own disciples. You need to be a servant. You need to be a servant. Not looking to be served, but to serve. And so we say that we'll roll up our sleeves and get our hands dirty in service to others. I have to say this goes against church culture in our nation today. I believe it does. We have a a Christian culture in our nation today that asks the question, how can the church serve me? Well, you know, there's there's literally a story (laughs) that uh, Jim Lyon, our general director, tells. I don't guess it gets, you know, a better example of this than this story that he tells of when he was pastoring a large church in Anderson, Indiana, and and they had developed for single moms, for um, elderly people, things like that. They had a a valet service that they would park people's cars for them, etc. He had someone leave his church, and the reason they gave him was that they didn't think the valet service was good enough. (laughs) He said... Well, good luck, because we're the only church that does valet service <laughs> in this entire region. <laughs> so, that's the example that's of the culture. Well, I don't get fed there enough. I don't get served there enough. And, and that's the mindset of, of, our, of our church nowadays, of, of the church in America, by and large. What's in it for me? What are you going to do for me? And long gone are the days, it seems, when people rolled up their sleeves and got their hands dirty, serving one another, serving the church, serving the community around them, those in need, those who have the dirtiest feet of all. And so we've got to be cautious of this. We've got to keep heating this up because I believe it's possible. Look, when it comes to generosity, our church, in my opinion, we're hitting it out of the park. I asked Patrice recently, our treasurer, I said, could you work out for us just kind of a giving percentage of what our church, and I'm not talking about um, what you give. I'm talking as a church, after you give it, how many of those dollars stay inside our four walls and how many of those dollars go outside of our four walls to missionaries, ministries, uh, you name it. 
And the percentage from October when our fiscal year began to this point was 23%. That's almost a quarter of all the dollars given to Cypress Street that go out to fund ministries around the world. And that to me is incredible. That is not normal by any stretch of the imagination. And there's a lot of people in the world's wisdom who would say, well, can't you see what you could do with that if you kept that here? The, the building projects you could do, the extra staff you could bring in. But in my opinion, the reason we have the facility that we have, the reason that we've been blessed to have the staff that we have, the reason that we have the ministries that we have and that we've been able to do the awesome things we've been able to do is because we've embraced that value of generosity and we're willing to pass it on. And God says, all right, you've been faithful with that much. And he keeps blessing us, doesn't he? He keeps on blessing us. And that is incredible. But I believe that it's possible for us to be very generous with our pocketbooks and stingy with our time. To be some of the most generous people on the planet and yet be snobs when it comes to who and when we'll serve others. It's possible to sit up in an ivory tower and send money off someplace and not actually have to get our hands dirty doing any of it, isn't it? And so we have to take both of these values and embrace them. Not only generosity that we've been excelling at. And when I say that we're excelling at it, I'm not naive enough to think that we don't have room that we could grow or that everyone in here is already a sacrificial giver. That we'd, we're, we all have to stay on the journey of generosity and keep challenging ourselves to be a sacrificial giver. Like those people that Paul held up as such a great example in Macedonia where their joy and their great trials welled up in rich generosity and they were begging for opportunities to give. Yes, we have to do that, but we also have to serve. It's interesting, you know, in, in the church of today, there's very few churches that can find anybody to just love a baby for an hour and rock them in a nursery. So more and more churches are paying nursery workers. We're amongst them. It's rare for churches nowadays to find anyone willing to go, you know, I mean, kids nowadays, look at how they behave. That's not how they behaved in my day, I can tell you. (laughs) And so no one wants to serve those kids anymore. They're not well behaved, so we don't want to love them. Even if it's just for an hour, we don't, it's stressful. Or we say, well, I did my time on that. It's time for someone else to do their time on that. And so, churches, a lot of churches, I I think this is one of the reasons why the larger churches are getting larger and the smaller churches are getting smaller because we would rather, in most cases, pay someone to do something than we would do it ourselves. And, And maybe that's a thing where we prioritize our time higher than our money and, and maybe that's not always a bad idea to do. You know, and maybe it's also partly because we recognize that some people really are extra gifted at something and, and why not have someone that's specialized in that, you know, pay them to do it and, and we'll do something that we're good at. There's an element of that in it too. But let us be cautious of getting to a point individually or as a church 
where we're not willing to roll up our sleeves and get our hands dirty in service, whether that's here in our building with kids or youth or we're having a work day coming up on Saturday. We've got a, or outside of our building, like we've got a grace place chance to serve coming up in June where there's, you know, some people will be walking through and, and we'll be providing a meal to people who, you know, may not be the kind of people that you feel comfortable serving. Are we willing to do it? Are we willing to get our hands dirty in service? I hope so. I want to ask you to make an appointment this week to serve. Whether that be here or somewhere else. Whether that be a neighbor that you know is in need. You can sort out what it is exactly. But make an appointment this week to serve. It may be this Saturday. You'd be willing, you say, hey, you know, I've never come to a church work day. I'm not much of a fix-it guy, but I'm just going to show up and do what I can. Come on. It may be, there's also a work day the following week over at the church in Ruston that we're trying to kind of get up and going again. And, and so we'll go on the 11th, those of us that can, and, and go over and help with that as well. So maybe you can't do this Saturday, plan on the 11th. Maybe June 15th, when we go to Grace Place next time. Put that on your calendar. Or like I say, you may think of something else. Or you may think of an ongoing ministry that you say, you know, I've been running away from that, but I need to get in there and do my part. I need to serve. But commit yourself this week to serving. You may be in a season of your life where you feel like, you know what? I just can't do what I used to do. And I find that... That, you know, when I look at, especially, you know, the, the oldest generation in our churches, I've found, and you probably have too, two different kinds of people. I found a, a kind of person that when they hit that stage of life, they say, I can't do that anymore. 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 And then I've seen the kind of people who say, I can't do that anymore, so I'm going to find something I can do now. I can't do that, but I can do this. And so which will you be? We can all find some way that we can serve someone. Big ways or small ways. And thus follow in the example of Jesus. And as we reflect on these two values and how they fit together, you know, I think our finite and temporary resources ought to be completely expendable. In pursuit of that which is infinite and permanent. Right? I mean, just when you put it that way, it makes a lot more sense. <laughs> that all this that we have now is, is finite and temporary. So therefore, it's completely expendable in pursuit of that which is infinite and permanent. In fact, it's wiser, right? <laughs> to do that when you put it that way. And you know the amazing thing about it? Not only when we serve, not only does it make the world a a better place and all that good stuff, not only does it push the kingdom forward as Jesus asked us to do, 
But that thing that feels like when we think about you know, giving sacrificially, when we think about getting our hands dirty in service, it's like, really? But when we actually do it, what feeling do you get inside? I mean, have you, have you ever given of your time or your money sacrificially? Do you remember what it felt like? I remember this time that, uh, and maybe I've shared this before, I can't remember. The longer I'm here, the more of the same stories you'll probably hear. So <laughs> we're starting to embark in that territory maybe here after the two-year mark. But there was a time where Julie and I were going to serve with our, our small group in Springfield. That, um, and we were going to this place called Convoy of Hope. You may have heard of them on the news. They're like the first people anywhere that there's a disaster. They're there and they're bringing food and supplies and things that are needed. And a really cool organization based in Springfield, Missouri. And so there's a serving opportunities weekly there. And we were scheduled to go on a Tuesday night, our small group, to serve at Convoy of Hope. And it had been a long day. It had been a long week already. It was just Tuesday. And we weren't really wanting to go anywhere except maybe to bed and just call it a day. But we went because, well, we were the small group leaders, right? And we had scheduled the thing, so we had to go. And we, and we went. And wouldn't you know that we're about the only people from our small group that show up. So that's disappointing, too. And so our attitude going into this thing, I give it an F. <laughs> it wasn't real good. But you know, an hour or two later, after packing hundreds of bags of groceries to be sent to people in need, we left with a very different attitude and mindset. Kind of change the trajectory of our week there. And it's funny how that works, you know, and yet each time we have to remind ourselves that there's not only a blessing to others when we serve and when we give sacrificially, but there's a blessing to us as well. So I ask you to bear that in mind as we wrap this up today. Let's be a church that embraces these last two values as well. To be a generous church and a church that gets our hands dirty in service. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for sending your Son to be the ultimate, perfect example of generosity and of servanthood. Lord, we ask you, forgive us for the times that we get so absorbed with ourselves and our own agendas. Where we get greedy, stingy, with our money or with our time. And we neglect to live the way that you taught us to. Holy Spirit, help us to dig deep. To love boldly, to give boldly. To serve, even in ways that may not be comfortable to us to begin with, but in ways that are needed for your kingdom's purpose. And we pray all this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. And we all say, Amen.